The views expressed on the patient's perspective come directly from patients, so they are not intended to diagnose, treat, or replace professional medical advice. Information coming from the patient's perspective is for entertainment and educational purposes only, so if you have any health concerns regarding yourself or anyone else, please see a physician. The Patient's Perspective is a podcast created by patients for patients and does not focus on any specific disease or condition. Content may make you laugh, cry, and question your moral beliefs surrounding healthcare and the many issues patients run into while in the system. Finally, the most important point of view is cast into the light. The Patient's Perspective. On this episode of The Patient's Perspective, two hosts talk with a guest about assumptions that are put on patients out in the world. Hi, everyone. So I am currently sitting uh, in a hotel room right now, so I will be muting myself frequently due to the motorcycles that are passing right now. Uh, But I have Candace here. And Candace has uh, a guest that she has invited onto the podcast, who is a long-term friend of hers. And uh, we are all going to be discussing assumptions that are put on patients just either in healthcare uh, or out in the real world. So Candace, I'm just going to pass it on over to you and you take it from here. Hi. So we're on a Tough Talk Tuesday. This is my first Tough Talk Tuesday. And I thought the subject that Carla and I had come up with could use uh, a a male perspective. Um, And so I put it out on my social networks and a very good friend of mine, Mr. Michael Wohn, has agreed to come on today. And I'm so very excited because he is an author. But how we met was way back in college. Um, <laughs> young pups in our 20s, um, or, you know, even earlier, doing, studying music together. So I'm excited to catch up with Mike today while we get into some tough subject matter. And um, I'm going to hand it over to Mike and just ask him to tell us a bit about his book. I, I apologize, Mr. Michael. Well, Friend of mine, who Hello. people call Michael. It's great. It's great to be here. Um, so yeah, I d- I'm just releasing a new book, and it's a uh, psychological fiction, and it actually has a lot to do with the assumptions in our um, medical diagnoses, which uh, kind of follow us through as we're going through the healthcare system. And but it's mainly geared towards male issues, just because the character is, you know, technically it's me, although it's fictionalized. So it's not a nonfiction; it's it's fiction. And um, yeah, it's uh, 
has a lot to do with this and some of my experiences throughout my uh, mental health journey and um turns out certain physical physical um problems i had at certain points so it, it uh it's definitely an issue that comes up for people who have a lot of experiences going into like hospitals and seeing doctors regularly and things like that but um my personal experience is I did have a very significant weight loss journey. So a lot of it has to do with um, some of my weight loss journey where doctors would tell me things like I uh, I needed to lose weight or I could die because of my massive obesity. So uh, a lot of it has to do with um, that and how you get treated by people based on uh significant changes to your appearance and things like that so uh and then i also have a schizoaffective disorder which was diagnosed actually before i met candace uh just recently um just before i met candace uh in the early 2000s now do you feel comfortable mike oh see i can hear uh i can hear myself uh uh, echoing a little bit. So I apologize to the listeners out there. Sometimes that might happen. Um, do you feel comfortable, Michael, in discussing what uh, schizoaffective disorder is? Yeah. Um, so a basic description of it is, is you kind of have like a schizo, uh, schizophrenia symptoms um, tied in with bipolar, schiz- uh, bipolar symptoms. Um, so there's a lot of varieties of the ways that it can go with the schizophrenia symptoms. Um, some people have auditory hallucinations, visual hallucinations. Um, some people just have delusions, which are fixed uh, beliefs that are not necessarily true. And then um, that's just like a basic breakdown of how uh, the schizophrenia symptoms that some people might have. And, uh, with the bipolar symptoms, I think you're, you're getting, experiencing mania as well as some sort of kind of, di- uh, depression type symptoms, um, and potentially both at the same time, uh, from time to time. So, um, I think now at this point, well, I'm on a lot of medication, so it's hard to say. I'm not on a lot. I just take, uh, take uh get an injection once a month so i meet with my healthcare team once a month to get a uh polyperidone injection which is injected into my arm and then um i meet with them and talk to them but um from my experience it's best not to say anything to them because if i have any sort of problems i i kind of don't want to tell them because they'll just lock me up in the hospital you know, and that's not going to help me. So it's kind of an issue. And I did mention that in my book where, you know, I, I, everything in my life, when I go see the psychiatrist and the nurses that give me the medication is perfect. You know, I have no issues. Um, and the only issues that I have are just physical health issues that I discuss with them and my mental health. I kind of leave that out as much as possible and just say, the medication is perfect because other than that, they're going to lock me up and it's not going to help me. 
Wow. It's unfortunate to, to feel that way in in your healthcare system, but um I'm in the same province as as Michael, so I know a little bit about the way our healthcare system is set up and I just wanted to extend like a, a friendly I'm sorry that you're having to navigate this kind of crap, really. Of of feeling like if if as a man you say, well, I think maybe there's something that might need to be tweaked because I'm I'm struggling in this area that you have to be afraid that they're gonna, as you say, lock you up. I apologize for that. Yeah. Um, because that that goes with with assumption, right? Like it they're going to you need that. Please go ahead. I I really appreciate you sharing your personal story with us here today. Yeah, I think a lot of people might experience that. Um, and uh, I found that um, actually going to psychotherapy for the past uh, probably about two or three years um, has been a lot more helpful than the actual psychiatric uh, treatment that I've gotten. So personally, I think the psychotherapy has helped quite a lot more. I've even had psychotherapists tell me that I'm not obligated to take any medication. And what happens when I go off the medication? So in my book, I was kind of, it was about a two year period where I left the medication. And um, so there's a lot of kind of symptoms that happen from the medication. And also, uh, I, I can become a completely different person after going off the medication. And so under the treatment of a psychotherapist, they might recommend or even tell you that you're not obligated to take any medication, which I went for it. And, uh, I found my experiences kind of, um, just kind of eye opening because I become a completely different person and almost people seem to like me a lot more. Uh, I start being more active and, um, I found that the psychotherapy was actually very, a lot more helpful than the actual psychiatric care I was receiving. So it's hard to say how now I, I can focus a lot better when I'm, um, on the medication. So there are some kind of like, pros and cons to leaving the medication, but also there's, there's some cons to leaving it too. So like I, I kind of, um, I, I can't focus quite as, as well when I'm off the medication and I start to like not pay attention and I can't focus on what people are saying and it causes issues, especially if I'm trying to go to school or if anyone's talking to me and I need uh, instructions like at work or something like that. Now, one thing I'd like to yeah, say I is I find it remarkable because Michael and I have been friends in the social world for, for a long time. And I see you, you're always doing something to better yourself. Something you're always navigating something and and trying to uh, you can uh, you can see it and when you're more actively posting I know you're in a you're in a happier place right yeah. but but what I I know is that there were even 
there were assumptions put on you right when you entered college, were there not? And wow. and as we sit here and listen to you and talk to you today, you're a very intelligent person. You're an accomplished writer. Thank I you. know you've written more than one book. I have a couple of your books. <laughs> right? Awesome. Yeah, the so, new one's not out yet. It's it's yeah, it's being dropped in a couple of weeks. And so <laughs> the the other the other part of that is there's a whole entire person that get that gets lost that people don't see, right? So, Michael, what do you think is your what, what is? See, there's that echo. Um, it's okay, Kyla. <laughs> I didn't hear it. Oh, I can hear it from my end. Maybe it's just me. I'm hoping it's just me. Um, what do you, what would you say is the worst assumption or the the most common assumption that you've run into in um like in your journey? Is it is it um that again that that you're maybe not being compliant and uh or that you're just afraid that you're going to be put back in the psych ward? Or have you? I'm assuming that you maybe have been in the psych ward or before. Maybe that's just an assumption. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I, I had spoken previously actually with my guy friend. Um, a couple of his podcasts dropped last week, uh, due to bipolar disorder. Who's also been hospitalized on I think about two or three times in his life as well. Um, so that seems to be a fairly common worry. Um, sorry, my son just walked in. About the assumptions that are made, particularly around persons with, that have been in the psych unit before, uh, especially like if they're being non-compliant, like they'll say, "Well, you have a choice not to take medication, but if you don't take it, then you're non-compliant." You know, like so, it really puts patients in a in a position where they have to follow along or they feel like they have to follow along in many of the cases, or they feel like they have to lie. They have to now not be truthful because of they're afraid of the consequences that they will face. Um, if it's deemed that they're not being compliant, if that's makes sense. Yeah. It says non-compliant all over my medical records. Sorry. I'm just here <laughs> jumping in. Um, because I have, hypersensitivity so even if there is a benefit to a drug i will try it and experience like the rare and the worst side effects well then later on down the road when i go into to a doctor to talk about i don't know a physical symptom of some kind that's happening from the drug then they say, I want you off that drug. I'm going to switch you to this drug, or I don't want to put you on any other drugs because you've reacted so many times to everything I've thrown at you, right? And regardless of what it is, whether it's mental or physical health, I have drug hypersensitivity. And so, but when you try to tell them, no, I can't take that because of my past experiences, if you have a mental health diagnosis from the past, all they see is this this person must be experiencing a mental health crisis. This person must be full of anxiety. Um, and they just don't want to take the medications because they're afraid of it. That's how I get labeled. I am a non-compliant patient all over the place. 
So the moment I go in, and I have a lot of physical, like really big physical problems, right? MS, hydrogenitis superativa, psoriasis, what the heck else? So many other things, right? And then I go in and try to try to get those physicalities treated. And it's like, Candace, you know that anxiety can trigger physical symptoms. They don't even look. They don't even want to look because I'm a complicated patient. And when I they say, well, we're going to fix this with this drug. And I say, no, because this drug is going to interact with this disease and this thing and this thing. Well, they don't like you to know any of that or not like if they... They don't like you to to do any of your own research into your it's it's all this assumption that you've been diving down rabbit holes and now you're paranoid and that's an mm-hmm. assumption, right? The assumption that you couldn't possibly be that sensitive to let's say your own hormones, progesterone, for example. Which is Michael, that was actually what I was diagnosed with and I was actually confirmed by two uh interdermal tests. I've about one in two hundred people in the world diagnosed as being allergic to my own sex hormones, so I had to have my ovaries removed. So the problem with that is that I went from twenty twenty some years, um, or more, because we can date symptoms back to childhood. Um, basically I was looked at as um even by my own family. You know, and due to the fact that it started so young, that it must have been my mental health, you know, especially because they worked, both my parents worked as teachers and also in kind of social work type industries. Um, And that affects me to this day. You know, like our relationships will never be what it should have been because there were these assumptions that were put on me as a child and the problem is is that people make once you people have made a decision about who somebody is it is really hard for that person then to change their mind you know especially if you've known that person for 20 some years a lot of my symptoms were taken as part of my personality especially because it started so young so um like I used to have wicked temper tantrums. I used to, but these are all seen in kids with allergies and kids who um, haven't slept well due to allergies or anything like that. And I wasn't sleeping well. I was falling asleep at school uh, in elementary to the point that a teacher told my mom, hey, what's going on with Kyle at home? You know, like I had all these signs, but everything was coming out negative. So it was put on me that it was that it was my personality traits when really we can now date that it was symptoms that were causing me to not sleep i was really um uh anxious which that's a that's actually a symptom of having anaphylaxis or anaphylactoid symptoms um that is a part of the biological process patients will get um, during anaphylaxis and anaphylactoid, they will get something called, um, oh God, Candace, now I can't even think about the name. Uh, That's impending cardia? doom. No, oh, impending right, right, doom. Right. Yeah. So they get a sense of impending doom. And I used to get this sense when my period was coming of this, and this dread. Like I didn't want to wake up in the morning. It was just this, and it just would hover over me constantly. And I had no idea what the hell it was. 
And it took me until we finally figured out that it was some type of allergic process to realize that it was impending doom. And so, but that was seen as depression, right? <laughs> you know, but it's, it's an actual biological process of allergy. And then it took us years to prove the fact that I was actually anaphylactic to my own hormones. And was my, not only was I extremely sick, it was life-threatening. I was going through a life-threatening process about every week to two weeks out of every single month. And then I'd, I'd slowly start to recover. And then suddenly the next cycle would start, you know, like it was, it, and, and so, yeah, I mean, yeah, Candace, these assumptions I can't, gonna, follow, yeah. yeah, these assumptions that follow our health, not even our health, but even in the real world, they can cause huge impact, right? Mm -hmm. And change our, change the course of our lives and maybe even change years of our lives. Right. And like, uh, Mike, you touched on this a little bit, I think, um, about how, I, I mean, I've gone from largely morbidly obese, right? And as a woman, you're always looked at, it doesn't even matter. If you're 20 pounds overweight, you're going to walk in there and they're going to tell you, lose some weight, that'll help, you know? And it doesn't help you mentally, <laughs> Like they don't, they don't say what the mechanism of, of why, yes, if you lose some weight, your joints are going to feel better. There'll be less inflammation. Like you might, or, or how, right? Like maybe, maybe you're having a problem with insulin sensitivity or uh, like maybe nobody, nobody talks to you about how or why you can help yourself or, or what might be causing, like Kyla mentioned allergies and a lot of people walk around having allergic response to things they have no idea they're having an allergic response to. And they're assuming that they're losing their mind because they have this out of nowhere anxiety attack, right? Or their heart starts, jumps, starts beating out of their chest in, and, and they, they think they're having an anxiety attack, but really they're not. They're allergic to something in their environment. Maybe somebody walked by with some perfume on, right? And so, uh, but, the, but, but I think Mike touched on, I think I also think I have an ADHD problem that I've been dealing with my entire life. But the assumption was that I had bipolar type two. I was diagnosed with a, from a walk-in clinic doctor at a five minute appointment while I was in college, Mike, That's while fun. we were studying music together up there in Sudbury. Um, I went into a walk-in clinic and I, I complained about snowballing fits of rage i was living with two other guys like two guys in college trying to deal with what i now think is was some kind of neurodivergency and um of course i was flipping frustrated right but no i think you have bipolar disorder and and he explained the whys and i didn't know back then that the dsm like intertwines like crazy and dsm-5 the dsm everybody is the diagnostic uh, manual for doctors to decide what your brain mechanics are and and the authority is usually the psychiatrist might talk about psychotherapy um here in my province we don't have coverage for that kind of therapy and there are wait lists years long for psychotherapy dbt cbt any kind of that i'm digressing hugely 
the best thing you can do to find psychotherapy, I find, is if you're going to school, it comes, it, it's included with your your tuition. So right. you, can, you and can find psychotherapy through your college or your university. Now, are you guys talking about like an actual like psychologist or psychiatrist appointments? Like the ones that are an hour, hour and a half, not the ones that are like 15 minute long that you just walk in for and get your prescription yeah, and then leave. It, it varies from college to college. So like uh, at Georgian College, which is where I live in Barrie, I did have actual psychotherapy sessions. There were 50 minutes uh, with the licensed psychotherapist. And then when I was at Queens, which is in Kingston, um we only had a master's student training in tra- like basically in training who was doing the therapy and uh i i have to say like finding a good psychotherapist is it can be part of the a biggest one of the biggest parts of the struggle because you might not work with some of these people so it can it can be difficult to find the right one um so or damn near impossible. I'm going to say that. I do have experiences like that too from a long time ago where, you know, I had acne, you know, acne on my back. And then I got this medication. The guy was like the, the dermatologist guy. He was like, you, you, um, you can either get a cream or you can take these pills. And so I didn't have anyone to put on the cream for me. So he, he prescribed me these pills, but they're basically hormones. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, and, and then I had like a huge reaction to that. And then I ended up in, um, in the hospital in Toronto and they, they gave me a bunch of, uh, you know, like antipsychotics and, um, like bipolar medication and stuff. This is like the early, early diagnosis of my sch- schizoaffective disorder. And it, and it, you know, stemmed from a reaction from this, dermatology medication that I had, which was hormones. So yeah, I do have a similar experience to that also. And um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. And the other thing too, is a lot of those psychiatric medication causes weight gain, a lot of them causes weight. So like you, you have no control over it. And it causes you to be lazy. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. And then all of a sudden you don't want to take it because you want to lose weight. And then they're saying you're not non-compliant. So you're, you're stuck in this, a rock and a hard place the entire time. I actually, mm-hmm. in 2014, or I think it was 2014 when they closed out the London regional mental health hospital and opened up a new one. Um, the province did of Ontario did a lot of cutting and changing. I had a doctor tell me that he didn't, I had lost a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had tracked, touched on this a little bit and you did too, Mike, uh, was, was the body changes. So I had lost a hundred pounds and he said to me, I'm reluctant to put you on any, any more medication. This was a psychiatrist, the known for the, to be the top in the country for bipolar disorder, hanging out in London where I was from. Okay. And, he said, I'm reluctant to put you on any medication because you've lost so much weight and you're doing well in the community. What he neglected to say was, I also have already put you on two different medications that caused major damage because of side effects that I should have known were going to happen because he he worsened existing, like pre-existing conditions because of the medication. But anyways, so he's like assuming 
you know, I don't want you to gain weight. Now you've lost this weight. I don't want to put you on this medication. And then they send me a letter of discharge. They discharged me due to non-compliance. Well, who, who took me off what medication? When did I, you know what I mean? So there's that whole thing. But I want to touch on, and I tried, I, I tried to touch on this earlier, but then I went all over the place. Mike talked about in the beginning of this chat about when your body, body changes and, and the assumptions that people put on you when you're overweight. And then with the way that it, the, it, it completely changes the way people start to treat you differently. If you, if you do lose a bit of weight, like, and the assumption is that, well, you must be working really, really hard. Well, no, well, maybe somebody lost all that weight because they got sick or maybe, you know what I mean? There's all kinds of assumptions or that like you're on, you must be lazy. You use the word lazy, Mike. Mm-hmm. Are you lazier or, or are you sedated? Are you? Yeah, like, I, mean, I take the, I get my injection once a month and most of the time when I like immediately after taking it, I just crash. So it's, it's definitely causing me to be slower and less energetic for sure. And just to jump in here, um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, for Tough Talk Tuesday, this is a, a great way that we're kind of condensing this for, I don't even think I'm going to get to what I was going to talk about because I don't think that um, it's going to be relevant to this conversation that we're having right now. Um, but right now uh, oh yeah it it would be more helpful and that's why i wanted to create the patient's perspective is because we need more programs that are aimed towards not just the medication but also exercise um like why why i i don't understand why they don't have like a gym, like a full gym, not just like a bike or an elliptical or one or two machines, like in the psychiatric units or why they aren't giving like gym memberships as long as, uh, as well as these prescriptions, right? It's, and then on top of it, for people, persons such as myself and, and Candace, who are sensitive, especially to these medications, we also wouldn't qualify for many. Like I know in my province, unless you've tried every single medication, you can't get on benefits. So, but what happens for persons that maybe can't take it, who are all too complex? How come, like, like, and, and there's things like um, behavioral therapy, which isn't really covered right now, but they find to be successful or quite successful. Like, why is there not a combination of behavioral therapy with psychotherapy and psycho psychiatric medication mixed along with gym memberships? Like, it, it, it really pisses me off and so, and so that that's <laughs> but the but um yeah that's all i'll say about that because that's kind of steering a little bit away from i'm gonna our i'm discussion. gonna take that though and i'm gonna touch on it a little bit kyla okay there is there are things starting to happen within the medical field where people are starting to recognize some of the things that i know you're touching on with lifestyle changes and diet and holistic health Okay, 
whole person, holistic health, well, there's, there's like these natural, there's two fields, right? There's natural medicine and then there's conventional medicine. And if you're really poor, all you get access to is conventional medicine. But what you might really need is the natural medicine help, right? Because if you can't take the conventional drugs, et cetera, et cetera. However, right now, there is a university in Hamilton, Ontario, McMaster, there, they have a, an actual department of integrated medicine research. So everybody put your hands together and hope that this happens and becomes a thing. That's all I was trying to say, Kyla, because I think it's exactly what you're talking about. Well, and then there's assumptions put on the patients when they try to steer away, like you stated, from the medication part, and they want to go more into the integrative medicine. But it's not that those patients are totally 100% against conservative medication. And again, that will draw back to them being non-compliant or, or having anxiety or, or yes. uh, you know, they're worried about the medication. Well, fuck yeah. Like, yeah, so I ran into a problem where I'm usually worried about the medication and they won't give it like or, or and they, you know, they try to give me meds and I'm like, no, I can't take this because of A, B, C, D, whatever. Right. But then I go in and I'm going, I think I'm really struggling with ADHD. Can we try one of these stimulant drugs? Because they also help treat MS fatigue and they're going, oh, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. You have a previous walking clinic doctor remember that previous five minute walking clinic doctor diagnosis of bipolar disorder so we're gonna wait make you wait a year to see a psychiatrist before you can get access to a drug that's not even going to stay in your system very long and might actually help you improve your life right so it's and it's because of the assumption that i may have bipolar disorder may and then the assumptions as well. There's assumptions about uh, maybe Mike. Maybe you've experienced this as well, um, where if you suggest that you might have a condition, such as like Candace has stated, she thinks she might have ADHD. If you mention that to the doctor, suddenly there's assumptions because you're trying to diagnose yourself. You know, and, and and it's like, okay, there's a difference in between diagnosing myself and going around telling everybody that you 100% have ADHD versus just wondering if it's a possibility. Like, yeah. how did we get from wondering if it's a possibility and them jumping to just assuming that you're stating that you have it? Like it, it's 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 really weird. Like and and it's not just doctors; it's other people as well. And again, that comes along to all these um, spats that you see online. Um, just it's like nobody can have an, nobody can have thoughts anymore, unless they have the right correct credentials. Like you can't have any thoughts about your own self <laughs> if you express it. You have to, uh, you have to watch out what kind of therapy you're getting from your friends because they're just, a lot of them are just judging you. So, I mean, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's better just to be quiet about certain things, but I have never done that actually. I do, I do think I have some ADHD times and I've, I've thought about bringing it up and particularly because I kind of want the medication for ADHD, like some, uh, 
some uh, uppers and stuff. Or what do they give you? They give you like uh, concentration, like Ritalin and stuff. Well, the Ritalin, uh, Ritalin to most regular people, I believe, if I remember, I used to be a support worker, so I used to know this. Um, it actually, in most people that don't have ADHD, it will actually make you hyper, I think. Yeah. Don't quote me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But for somebody with ADHD, it will actually cause them to um, focus better. Be able to focus, focus better. better. I mean, yeah. I can't get through podcast day without a, lo- a buttload of coffee. Right? <laughs> so, because I, I'm not on any of these. But the funny part is, though, I started asking for help for MS fatigue, which is a physical symptom. And I have multiple sclerosis. And my neurologist said, yeah, we'll track back to that. Except you here in Ontario, you have to wait like six months to a year before you get another neurology appointment. Even if you are deemed to have a very aggressive degenerative brain disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so... He says, well, well, we'll get back to that. And then I start experiencing emergencies with my physical health in a different area. And so that gets dropped. And I have to just, because it's one one symptom at a time, right? Well, that doesn't work for a chronic illness patient. In any case, the drugs are the same. They're the same. For MS fatigue, things like modafinil, Adderall, Ritalin, Vyvanse, okay? Those are all the drugs used also to treat ADHD. Candace is sitting over here trying to build two businesses. And, you know, one of the businesses we've already talked about on this podcast. And so it's good work. And for me to be able to do that good work, I need a little bit of help. Now, as a patient who usually refuses medicine, if I'm walking in there asking for a particular medicine, wouldn't you think that they would go, oh, this lady's done her research. She's willing to try this. She knows it's going to be safe. And if it's not safe, she knows we can go off of it. But no, the assumption is, well, I think she just, I think they think I'm a hypochondriac, even though I have this actual grocery list of physical diagnoses. It's, it's interesting. Well, that, that comes down more or less. I mean, I I would think that women would suffer from that more. Like, can you jump in there? Like, what what is what is the um, what is your experience in terms of being seen as a hypochondriac from the male perspective? Does that happen to men often, um, or is it the fact that you you guys are supposed to be more manly and handle your symptoms and not talk about anything? Yeah, do you just not go to the doctor if you're feeling unwell? Like, uh, because I know men like that who just don't, don't ask for help ever. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely kind of a bias in certain ways. Like, I mean, you know, if you feel guilty, it's going to be hard to um, admit your guilt to a psychotherapist. So, but I'm just saying, but in my case, I don't really feel a whole lot of guilt and I still get treated like a criminal. So. You know, like, I mean, everything's, everything's the fault of the man, but I mean, you know, that might be for a reason, but if you're, if you're feeling guilty, it's, you're probably not going to go admit it to a psychotherapist. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of experiences with like, uh, kind of being, um, being like typecast as a mental illness. So if you're living in a place where there aren't a whole lot of places to go for, uh, your, your health issues, like you live in a certain town where you can only go to the hospital or you don't have a doctor, they're going to, they're going to see most of your issues as just relating to whatever you normally go in for, which in my case is mental illness. So that's what happens to me when I go to the hospital, even if I have a physical illness is I get, you know, treated as a mental patient. So you, and, and, and you guys already said this at the beginning of the episode. So, I mean, I know that's definitely true. So I have that experience all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, from a female perspective, we we often think that it's exclusive to us, right? Because a lot you're you're a really brave guy, Michael. I mean, we don't hear we hear we hear women. Women are outward with their emotions and their thoughts. When it comes to like we're whiny and etc., right? So we hear it from women, but I think a lot of a lot of guys experience what you're talking about, Michael, and and yet they don't they don't have that space to speak up because of the cultural norms of a man must be a man and don't cry, little boys don't cry. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I get that a I, lot, actually. I, I, I miss that a lot. Being here for that. Yeah. So thank you. Please share more. Well, Tell us it's, just, it's just kind of like I mean, it definitely puts a damper on some of the relationships that you're you can have because I think people are expecting that from men to be you know just manly or even toxic in their toxic masculinity. And if you don't, it doesn't make sense to them. They can't really compute. So it kind of works both ways in the sense that like you're kind of, you're kind of forced to be like that. And if you're not, it doesn't really work out too well either way. So it's, it's no better, you know, no matter because you're kind of always expected to be like, you know, this sort of toxic male. It, it's a, it's just a, bad situation to be in because I mean, you know, there's it's it's not good. Like I mean, personally I feel like I kinda get treated like a criminal in the mental health, like when I'm in the psych ward. Yeah, there needs to be changes in I mean, the episode hasn't dropped yet. I don't know how much I'm gonna edit out, but Candace and I already went at one episode where it led to a huge rant, uh, mostly by myself. I think Candace actually stayed quite calmer than me during that one. Um, I mean, I had neuropsychology um, basically write on like a, oh my God, it was an entire report. This was way before I was diagnosed, um, stating that I basically in this, what's called the MMPI-2, now they've changed it. I think it's they've tweaked it a bit, but it's one of those multiple choice tests that you take to find out your personality. And the bottom line is, from my own perspective, is that you 
there is no way in hell you can figure out somebody's personality from a multiple choice test. I don't give a shit how good it is. You know, and statistic and a lot of psych, um, psychiatric treatment and diagnosis is based on stats and statistics are still statistic. The entire um, industry of psychology and psychiatry is based on assumption. It's a, it's a pretty good educational guess because they have their stats, but it's still stats. And stats is not solid science. It, it's so it's um, and I, I was trying to talk about before where we're getting to like this almost this over psychologizing society. Yeah. Where almost everybody now has some sort of psych training. Uh, teachers, a lot of them will have a psych training before they, they go and get their educational, um, uh, like their ed educational um, uh, masters and stuff like that. A lot of the times it's the road is paved through psychology. Yeah. And the problem is, is that when you think you know, that's when you start to miss things, which is what happened with me. When so so as soon as you think you know somebody, or you know something, that's when persons, even professionals, need to be the most careful because that's when they're going to make a mistake, and that's where a lot of my anger comes from. Um, I personally respect only about half of psychology, even though I have abnormal psych. Um, and uh, I have some psychology classes behind me. That's why I never went further. I didn't agree with a lot of it because a lot of it was assuming. And being the person who's been on the other end of those assumptions, that has almost led to my death on numerous occasions. I can't stand behind it. Um, in terms of the way that it is now, which is why I would like them to um, start tweaking it more and taking patients' perspectives into consideration in terms of their experiences. So, yeah, that's all. I, I don't know where else. We're, I, I think we... Yeah, <laughs> this conversation can never end, Candace. It can never end. No, no, it it can't. And I think I think we have to go into more depth on an, on more episodes. But like, I'd like to just refocus on the fact that we were even able to touch on some of it today. And maybe let's let's kind of do a roundtable. Here's a fun game. How do assumptions affect you in the real world, out in the outer world of not having to navigate healthcare and things like that? Like with your friends or even with strangers? I'll go first. <laughs> I have a friend who is very near and dear and sees me every week. You mentioned over, over psychologizing. We're, even with our friends, we try to, we try to help. And sometimes when our help, when we're helping, we're making assumptions without even truly knowing. Like, if you only see me once a week, 
you only see once a week Candace. If you're only seeing me at a certain community, you only see the Candace that's active in that community and, and I'm on for that community and I'm a different I'm a different I'm not I'm not saying I'm a shapeshifter or I'm a different character. We all are, right? So there are assumptions that kind of follow you into your world. And this one's really kind of cute because um a person that I see every week and I get to work with because I'm I'm learning and doing things with this person they only see me in a, in a certain community and um but they see me as someone who's very similar to them and so they're very often making assumptions that I'm going through the exact same struggle that they would go through and so they they offer up some friendly advice or you need to not um pathologize everything and talk about well I'm in a different stage of my learning about myself than you are so when you're saying that maybe I'm not there yet and thanks for the advice but you just kind of really stifled my my brain processing and you know what I mean so we make assumptions out in the, in the community and sometimes what I think I'd like to say is there's this old wisdom, Toltec wisdom, that if if you're judging something in somebody else, it's probably the thing that you're criticizing the most within yourself. So when you go to pass that judgment, even if it's for a friend, when you're going to make that assumption, even if it's for a friend you love, ask yourself why you're making that assumption and look inward because it probably has something to do with something that you're you're asking of yourself even though you you may not be you might even be afraid of it but watch yourself when you're judging other people look in the mirror first okay who's next mike michael <laughs> mr michael Wong? uh all right i just um Oh, I should, I, I can't hear myself because I just put in the earphones, but, um, so, um. We can hear you well. You so. can hear me? Okay, that's good. Uh, I forget what the question was. Oh, yeah, and, and, <laughs> I don't know, um, yeah, I just, I think, um, that I've kind of learned to not depend on people for, for like advice and stuff like that. Like if I'm looking for advice, I think I've had a lot of friends who said, Hey, you're, you're kind of crossing the boundaries between what our friendship actually is at this point, because I'm not willing to talk about your kind of, um, problems like this. Uh, so, you know, you should reach out to someone who's like a professional and, uh, I'm pretty open, so I think that's going to be maybe a little different than a lot of people that, a lot of guys that you meet, but, uh, I'm pretty open and I pretty much trying to reach out to talk to people all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've gotten to the point where I don't really open up about my issues to people because, uh, they just don't like it and they, they have no way to actually, um, think about it because I think they just generally don't really care that much, you know? Like, why is that my issue? Deal with it yourself. Like, I got my own stuff to do. 
So like, I mean, there's only so much you can do to reach out to someone before they just tell you like, you know, go see someone who, who you're, you're paying to listen to that, like a professional. So, I mean, uh, yeah, like how much do people actually care? I don't know. But if I was to tell them, like I have schizo, schizoaffective disorder, um, that's going to cause them to like run for the hills for sure. Because I, I'm, I, it's something I don't really mention to people, you know, every day, even though if I don't tell them, they won't notice at all. They won't at, at all. Truly, truly. My, I, I'm going to jump in there because people do care. Okay. Um, but I feel it too. There's that, like, I'm an oversharer. I've been told that before. You're an oversharer, you know, and, and, and people do have, we all have our own stuff. And, but it is really, really important to find that one person or two people that, that can take the weight of some of your vulnerability. And, and that's a thing that we kind of need to learn collectively, culturally to sit in vulnerability with people that it's not an uncomfortable thing because everybody's got it. And so if we can sit in it with, with the other person, like, as you say, you know, someone might not know, they're not going to see your schizo effect. You don't wear it on the outside as a t-shirt. Hey, I'm somebody that has schizoaffective disorder, but I'll tell you, I, if you were to meet, my ex, and he's very honest about this, so my my daughter's father, he suffers with having paranoid schizophrenia, which is a more degenerative form. Like, he has true paranoid schizophrenia, and and yet, if you were to have a cop, he's a really engaging, smart, just fun person to be around, right? So we, we it's almost like the red, the red A, what is that, that that story the scarlet letter scarlet letter the scarlet letter we all walk around with a freaking scarlet letter on us or we feel like we do but i think things like this this podcast thank you kyla for starting this platform because i think it is really really needed and i think it's going to go on for a long time and we're going to touch on topics like these again and as a as a co-host i want to say i'd love to have michael back on to talk more about his experience if he's willing he's yes, clapping no, and smiling that means he's coming <laughs> back i appreciate that that means a lot to me all yeah, right we'd but love I, to have you michael we're always trying to find you know especially men to come on because they aren't comfortable um being open about what they've experienced right mm-hmm. Well, I, I agree with uh, Candace too. Like, I mean, when you meet someone who shares similar issues or like similar, uh, health problems in general or, or mental health issues, it's nice that you meet someone who experiences what you do. So that is kind of the benefit of going, I find, to, um, like the psych ward is that, you know, a lot of the people there are going to be sharing the same kind of stuff as you are. So there's some positives to pretty much everything anyway, even though some a lot of it can be negative. Yeah, and, you know, like, I mean, systems systems need to change, but there's other businesses being built to try to help 
within those systems. Connected Heart <laughs> Helping Canada. Yes. Um, there's one. That. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know, Michael, if you know about, I mean, Candace Meyer and to the listeners who maybe haven't heard that podcast yet, uh, Candace and I are trying to begin a, um, like kind of a systems navigation type uh, business because we have been in the system. Um, I mean, I've been in the system almost my, uh, basically my entire life. So, you know, we have a lot to say, you know, it, it's, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. We're going to do this a lot. Um, but I think we're, we're wrapping up here today. Um, and we're going to be back with so much more of this sort of thing. And Kyla, again, Kyla is the creator of this podcast and what a beautiful thing. She's made it international. So we're not only, um, going to be hearing from Canadians, which we have been because we're, uh, uh the people trying to build this thing from nothing are in Canada, um, but it it will grow. And I'm glad to have Michael in on the ground floor. Thank you so much from both of you, to both of you. And with that, uh, listeners, we all hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye for now. I'm so happy you were able to join in and listen to us today. If you have an episode idea or would like to share your story, please email me at info at thepatientsperspective.com or join our Facebook page under the same name. From all of us who are working hard bringing patient issues to light, thank you for tuning in and supporting The Patient's Perspective.